undisciplined and uncontrolled tongues destroy people. Disciplined and properly directed tongues strengthen people. This message is the third in the series, Rudders and Roots. The message is entitled, Addressing Your Problems, Part 1. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to God's Word this morning. I'm going to be sharing with you a message entitled, Addressing Your Problems. You're going to be looking at uh, the, the, the concept of how our words affect our problems, how we speak, affecting the problems of our life, because this entire series is all about changing your words and changing your life. A lot of folks don't realize the tremendous power that is in your mouth, in your tongue, your words. And the Bible is very clear about the impact of our words upon the way we live and what we experience in life. Let me take you to the New Testament book of James. The Apostle James gives us an understanding of this in James chapter 3, beginning in verse number 2. Listen to what he writes about our words, about our tongue, about our mouths. We all fail in many areas, but especially with our words. Yet if we're able to bridle the words we say, we're powerful enough to control ourselves in every way, and that means that our character is mature and fully developed. And notice this, horses have bits and bridles in their, where are they? In their mouths, okay, so that we can control and guide their large body. So James says, let me describe for you how a horse is controlled. This large animal, massive animal, tremendous muscle power, strength power, but you put a, a, a bridle on that horse on its head and a bit in its mouth, you're actually able to, through the utilization of its mouth, to guide that large body and control that animal in a very unique and wonderful way. And then he changes the metaphor in verse number four, and the same with mighty ships. Though they are massive and driven by fierce winds, yet they are steered by a tiny rudder at the direction of the person at the helm. And then James says, by the way, just like a ship as well, a ship is this massive force, has great potential power, great propulsion, if you will, but unless there's a proper rudder, if the rudder is not set in the right direction, there's going to be a problem with the ship. And so he's likening your tongue, your words to a bit in a horse's mouth and a rudder on a ship. And he says this in verse number five, and so the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it carries great power. Your mouth carries tremendous power. Your words carry tremendous power. An undisciplined, uncontrolled tongue can ruin your life, and it can ruin relationships. Anytime you speak words that are out of control, words that are detrimental in nature, not only do those words destroy you, but destroy the people around you. And many times, even for an entire lifetime, many people's hearts can be wounded by the words that are spoken. The opposite side of that is true as well. When you and I speak words that are life-giving, words that are strong, words that are powerful, words that are loving, we're actually able to bring strength to our own lives and blessing to the lives of those around us. That's why the writer of Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, said it this way, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Notice here, Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, remember this, in your mouth, with your wor words, with your tongue, you have the ability to communicate in such a way that life will be distributed or death will be dealt. We need to learn to talk the way God wants us to talk. We need to learn what I would call the language of heaven. There is a language of heaven, a language that pleases heaven, and a language, I believe, that brings heaven into our world. 
think with me for a moment about the world in which we live. I think if you just think about the news that is around us and all the turmoil and strife that is in our world today, I think we could all acknowledge that oftentimes what's happening in our world is that the the fires of hell are burning in our world and those fires are oftentimes being sparked by and encouraged by and inflamed by words. Words that are spoken, words that are said, it's generating a fire in our culture around us. And the same can be true in your family. There can be a fire destructively burning in your home because of the words that are being spoken. The same is true in your own individual life, what you say to yourself, what you say about yourself, what you say to the people around you. Fires can consume us. Life or death can be spoken by us, and we experience the consequences of our words. It can bring heaven to our lives, or it can bring hell to our lives. Our words are very important. And the language of heaven and the language that brings heaven to earth is a language that agrees with God. Anytime you and I get in agreement with God and speak words that agree with God, then in that moment, we're actually lining our lives up with heaven. That's why Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? You and I cannot really walk with God effectively until we agree with God. And one of the areas where you and I need to agree with God is related to His Word, what His Word says about our life, what what His Word Word says about who he is, what his word says about our relationships with other people, what the word of God says about the world around us. The most powerful agreement you will ever have in your life is agreement with God and agreement with God, not only in your heart with what you believe, but in the words of your mouth, speaking what God says, speaking God's word in a very practical way. Now, this is especially true when it comes to the areas of problem in your life. When you have a problem in your life, it's extremely important that you learn to find what God says about your problems and speak in such a way that you're in agreement with God about the problems that you experience in life. Because what you say about your problem is extremely important. In fact, there's one lesson I want to give you today that I hope you'll take away with you. I'm going to give you one lesson a week for the next three weeks. Today, starting two more weeks after this. And the one lesson that I want you to remember today, very simple, but it is this, what you say about your problems matters. What you say about your problems matters. Because what you say about your problems, about your problems, will either be in agreement with God or in disagreement with God. And so how you characterize that word about, you might want to circle it on your notes. The word about means how you describe, how you characterize something. When you talk about a person, you are describing them, you are characterizing them. And the same is true when it comes to problem areas in your life. You characterize them or you describe your problems in certain ways. Now, I think to make sure that we're all on the same page this morning, there's no such thing as a problem-free life. In fact, let me ask for a response from all of our campuses this morning. How many of you, how many of you have at least one problem in your life right now? Raise your hand. At least one problem in your life right now. If, you, if you, your hand didn't go up, come see me at the end of the service. I'll share one of mine with you, okay? Don't want anybody leaving today without a problem. Everybody needs a problem, okay? And a problem is a difficulty. A problem is... A challenge, a problem is an obstacle, a problem is some kind of pressure you're experiencing in your life, something that's concerning you, something you're battling with. A problem might be something external that is out there that you're battling with in life or dealing with, or a problem might be internal. Some of our biggest problems actually happen inside of us, but problems happen in every life. We battle with problems because we live in a sinful world that is imperfect, a sinful world that is broken. We ourselves are sinful, broken people, and so we 
we create problems for ourselves. We live in a world that is surrounded by broken people and sinful people. And so sometimes what they do creates a problem for us. And there's a real spiritual enemy that we're dealing with. There are a lot of reasons why we have problems, but everybody has a problem and has problems in their life. And here's what I want you to understand. God never instructs you to ignore the reality of your problems, but God never encourages you to let your problems conquer you. God says you have to acknowledge they exist, but I'm going to help you deal with them. So while your problems are there, they're never designed by God to dominate you. God has the grace to help you deal with problems in your life when you get in line with God, when you agree with God's approach to your problems. Now, let's think about how we normally deal with problems. When a problem comes up in your life, whatever it might be, external or internal, sometimes our problems will will confuse us. We get all disoriented in the midst of our problems. Sometimes problems make you irritated and angry, and sometimes problems intimidate you and worry you and, and nag at you with fear, and they drain and discourage your life. But God does not want your problems dominating you. God wants you to dominate your problems. This is important to understand. And this begins with your words. It begins with what you say about your problems, how you describe your problems, because your words matter when you describe problems in your life. I've given you there on your notes seven things that your words can do when it comes to your problems. The wrong words can magnify problems. You ever notice that you've made a problem worse sometimes just by talking about it? You made it bigger than it really was. Your words can actually create problems. Sometimes the best thing you can do to stay out of certain problems is keep your mouth shut. Because as soon as you open your mouth, problem. Your words can create unnecessary drama around problems. You got a problem, yeah, but you start talking about it and suddenly there's all this dramatic presentation of what's going on that affects your life. Your problems can create hopelessness in your heart as though you're never going to get beyond that. It can destroy your faith and decrease your faith faith through the midst of it. It can cause you to compare your lot in life with people who don't seem to have any problems. You ever had a situation where you're talking about your problem to somebody else, and while you're talking about your problem to someone else, you remember someone else that doesn't seem to ever have any problems, and then that becomes a problem to you because they never have any problems. (laughs) And now you've brought your problem and then the fact that they never seem to have any problems into your problem conversation, and now you're comparing your life with everybody else's life around you, and things have suddenly just simply gotten worse. Your problems can depress and defeat you in the face of your problems. Sometimes you actually talk yourself into depression and talk yourself into, into defeat when it comes to what you say about your problems. How many times in your life have your words about a problem actually made things worse? How many times? There are many examples in Scripture of people who actually made their lives worse because of what they said about their problems. Let me give you some examples of it. Take you to the Old Testament book of Numbers and talk to you about Moses sending 12 spies into the promised land to check it out. They're about to go into this beautiful land of Canaan that God had promised them coming out of Egypt. And now they're about to go in and Moses gathers 12 guys around him and says, I want you to go in and check out the land, come back and give me a report. And they go back and and 10 of the spies come back with a very negative report. And two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, come back with a positive report. But I want to take the time today to take you through this, this conversation the words that were spoken here because these words are powerful. They had an amazing impact negatively upon a group of 10 people and an entire nation. Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 26. 
to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. That's where they were. They reported to the whole community what they'd seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. That's the land of Canaan. So they'd gone in, they came back, and they're talking about it. They bring in the fruit that they've gotten from the land. This was this, verse 27, this was their, what's the next word there? Report. This was their report. Let me stop there for a moment. That word report means their verbal description. They're about to describe what they've experienced. It's not a written report. It is a verbal reflection of what's gone on, a verbal description of what they've encountered. This was their report to Moses. So now these, these spies are telling Moses their words are being spoken about what they've experienced. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. So, so far, so good. They're talking about the goodness of this land God promised them. Verse 28 starts with a very negative word. What's the word? But. Anytime your conversations gets to a but, you're in problem. You're in trouble, okay? But. They said, it's a really great place, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So they're describing all the negative things about the land. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land. He said, we can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed, that is, they were not in agreement with the positive report. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this, what kind of report? This negative, bad report. What did they do? They spread it. Okay, what does it mean to spread? They talked about it. Every conversation they had with somebody else was, well, you know what? Moses wants us to go in, but we can't do that. Look at all the problems here. He thinks that we can conquer this land, but there are all kinds of people there that we're going to have to battle against. And so they spread. They talked about this negative report. They continued to talk the wrong way about their problem. So they spread this bad report about the land, the Israelites, among, among the Israelites, the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes there, goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak next to them. We felt like grasshoppers and that's what they thought too. So what has happened here now is they've talked themselves into defeat. God had given them the promise of the promised land and now they've said, no, we can't do it. They talked themselves into defeat because of the way they described how they talked about the problems they saw there. And by the way, I want you to note something here. None of these individuals ever made it into the promised land. God says, if you can't believe me for something in your life, I'm going to keep you up. The next generation will go in, but you'll never make it. You know, you can talk your way out of a promised land. You can talk your way out of blessings in your life. I've known many people before that God wanted to bless them. God has set them up for blessing. God has set them up with great opportunities in their life, and they talk themselves out of it with negativity. The way they talked about the problems in their life kept them from the blessing God had in store for them. Notice all those negative words that were spoken. Let me give you another example. Talk about the Israelite army in the face of a, of a giant by the name of Goliath. The story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You know something about the story of David and Goliath. Let's get a bit of the backstory of what's going on here as a part of this. Verse 1, 1 Samuel 17. Everybody still with me today? The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Soka and Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damon. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So Saul was the king of Israel at this point. So now there's this this confrontation between the Philistines and Israel in this valley, okay? 
So the Philistines, the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. This was one bad dude. You talk, I mean, you're looking at a guy that is over nine feet tall. Just think about the fact that, that his, his bronze coat of mail alone weighed 125 pounds. It's an incredible, really massive guy. You never want to meet this guy in a dark alley. Okay, you're in trouble. Okay, this guy is a giant. And he's very intimidating. Notice what happens here. The next verse, verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted. These are his words. Now we're going to see the power of words. He shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming, Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I'm, I am the Philistine champion, but you're only the servants of Saul. That was the king of Israel. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Now notice what happens. Verse 11, when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. So these words that were being spoken by by Goliath were making their way into the hearts and minds of these, these Israelite soldiers and the king of Israel. Notice verse number 24, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. So not only did they hear it and were intimidated by it, they actually began to back away from the battle. They began to run away from the situation. Now notice now what happens. Have you seen the giant, the men asked. So now here's the, here are the words of the Israelites. Have you seen this giant? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Boy, he's massive. He's over nine feet tall. Have you seen how big of a problem he is? Have you seen how big this dude is? Do you realize we're in trouble? And they had all this conversation going on. Have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. That should have motivated somebody to do something, okay? Amen? Now, David comes on the scene. Notice what happens to David comes on the scene. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Now, notice again where Saul is with his words. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Negative, 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 negative. Can't do this. Impossible. We're in trouble. My goodness, this is a huge problem, and everybody in Israel is afraid now except for one person person because all they could see was the giant. All they could see was Goliath, but David could see God. David could see beyond the problem. And I'm going to talk more about that as we go through this series together. It's not my purpose to talk about David. I'm talking to you about how these people negatively talked about their problems. Let's talk about a group of people in the New Testament, the disciples on this stormy sea of Galilee. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 39. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, all the other boats followed. Let me stop there for a moment. Jesus had been with his disciples on one side of the Sea of Galilee. By the way, if you travel with us to Israel, we'll actually put you on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. You'll actually go across that sea where Jesus crossed. 
Amazing thing to see. So Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples, and they go across, or heading across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. It's not a big lake, but it's in a sort of a bowl. You can see it if you travel there. And so the winds can come down very rapidly and cause all kind of mayhem, if you will, in terms of the, the, the atmosphere on that lake. But here's what I want you to see. As Jesus gets in the boat with them and they're traveling to the other side, he's already told them we're going to go to the other side. And Jesus got in the boat with him. So where was Jesus in this journey? Where was he? He was in the boat. Say it with me. He was in the boat. So Jesus was in the boat with him. That's a very important part of the story. But soon a fierce storm came up. I told you how storms can show up rapidly on the Sea of Galilee. High winds were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Would you agree with me? That's a problem. Amen? You get water in your boat. It's okay if the water's outside your boat, but water in your boat sinks your boat. So we've got a problem here. A real problem is now existing. Now, notice what Jesus is doing during the problem. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Why was Jesus sleeping in the midst of this storm? Because he's Lord of the storm. He's the Prince of Peace. He's not disturbed by this. He knows the end from the beginning. It's not concerning him at all. He knows how this thing's going to turn out. And so he, he, he's completely at peace in this situation. But the disciples woke him up shouting. Notice that. Nobody likes to be awakened with a shout. If somebody's waking me up, don't wake me up with a shout, okay? Wake me up with a touch me, okay? No one wants to be awakened with a shout, but the disciples were so intensified by this situation and their emotions that they they shouted out, teacher, don't you care if we're going to drown? Now suddenly, do you get this? Not only is it a storm, not only is it a problem, but now they now assume they're going to die. How many times in your life have you taken one problem and then extrapolated from that problem some catastrophic expectation in your life that's going to go from bad to worse? It's never going to get any better. In fact, we're going to die here. So they're now talking to Jesus about about this. And then when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. But what I want you to see is that the disciples fell prey to what we often fall prey to in the midst of a problem. They start talking about the problem as though the problem is going to destroy them. God did not design problems to destroy you. God designed you to be a conqueror over your problems, okay? It's important to understand this and to speak in such a way that affirms that reality. Can I give you one more example of this? Let's take a look at Thomas. Thomas. Thomas is an interesting disciple because every time you find Thomas, he's he's, he's Mr. Negative, okay? I mean, Thomas, he's always got the the negative turn on any situation. Of course, you know the story of when Jesus uh, died and rose from the grave. I don't believe that. Not going to believe that until he comes and shows me, Okay. Of course, Jesus showed up and and proved himself to him. But anytime you see Thomas, most of the times you see him in the Bible, he has this negative spin about him. Let's take a look at one example of this. Give you a setting of the story. It's John chapter 11. Jesus had been away from this uh, town where some of his friends lived by the name of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were very close friends to Jesus. And Jesus had been away from them. And during that period of time while he was away from them, Lazarus, the brother in that household, had gotten sick and then eventually had died. They'd sent message, but Jesus did not arrive back to the, to the home until after Lazarus had passed away. So let's now pick up the story with that background, that setting. Then Jesus added, Lazarus, our friend, has fallen asleep. It's time that I go and awaken him. 
He was talking about the fact that Lazarus had died. When they heard this, the disciples replied, Lord, if, if he has just fallen asleep, then he'll get better. The disciples never quite got things, did they? Okay. Jesus was speaking about Lazarus' death, but the disciples presumed he was talking about natural sleep. Then Jesus made it plain to them, Lazarus is dead. Okay. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there because now you have another opportunity to see who I am so that you will learn to trust in me. Come, let's go and see him. So Jesus said, you got... Guys, he's dead, okay? He's dead. However, I'm glad I wasn't there prior to this to heal him. I'm glad that he's dead now because when I get back there, I'm gonna, you're going to see something about me that you didn't know before. You've known me as a healer, but you're going to learn that I am the resurrection and the life as well, okay? You've known that I'm a healer, but I'm going to show you something about me that you didn't realize before that, that death can't conquer, around me. And so I'm going to bring him back to life again. And so there's this story. Now, you would think everybody would have been very excited about this, but here's Thomas in the environment. Now, would you agree at this point, it's pretty exciting. Amen. There's a lot of good news here, correct? We're going to see, we're going back to Lazarus. I'm going to go and show you something in my glory. You're going to see a miracle like you've never seen before. All of that sounds like good news. You would think that Thomas would have been talking good things. But let's see what Thomas says in the midst of this kind of very positive environment. So Thomas, nicknamed the twin, verse 16, remarked to the other disciples, let's go so that we can die with him. (laughs) Huh? Where did that come from? How many times have you been in the midst of the most positive environment? You're the guy, so I guess it's going to kill us. A very positive environment, but the only twist that Thomas could bring on a positive thing was negative, okay? I guess we're going to die. How many times in our life do we do things like this? The negativity begins to prevail and, and, and overcome us, and we look at our problems, and we start saying things like this. Listen. We say things like, this problem I'm in, this is horrible. This is horrible. I can't deal with this. This is horrible. I can't deal with this. This is never going to end. Never said that before? This is awful. This is killing me. I can't stand this. Think about those words again. In the midst of a problem situation or multiplicity of problems, how many times do we say things like this? This is horrible. I can't deal with this. This is never going to end. This is awful. This is killing me. I can't stand this. Now, think about those words for a moment. Let me give them to you once again. Words like this. This is horrible. I can't deal with this. This is never going to end. This is awful. This is killing me. I can't stand this. Can I ask you, do any of those statements sound like they agree with God? Not a single one of them sound like they're in agreement with God. Would God encourage us to say things like that? No, but we say things like this, even though we say we're believers, yet in the midst of our problems, we begin with our words to say things like this that come out of our mouth. And the Bible teaches us the power of life and death is in what? Your tongue. And so when we speak words like this, we're actually trapping ourselves in our own circumstance. We're trapping ourselves in our problem because of the way we're talking about our problem. I can't stand this. This is never going to end. This problem is killing me. This is the worst thing I've ever gone through in my life. I'm not sure I'm going to make it. These kind of words are things that we say to ourselves and the kind of words that we speak to other people about the problems. And what you say about your problems matters. 
What you say matters. Extremely important to grasp this. Let me give you six passages to help us to understand what God says about our problems. Let me explain this to you. Before you, before you look at these passages with me, I want you to watch me just for a moment here. You can't change what you're saying about your problems to agree with God until you know what God says about your problems, correct? You hear me? Okay. So you got to know what God says first so you can now adopt from your own language and speak what God says about your problems so that now you're in agreement with Him and your tongue is bringing life into a situation rather than death. Because I will tell you, anytime you're speaking negative in a situation, you're going to be less likely to solve a problem with negativity than with positivity. Amen? Let me digress. I'm not just giving you a, a message on positive speaking here and positive thinking. This is not a pop psychology message. This is the Bible, okay? I'm trying to teach you the Bible here today. The Bible is very clear about this. And so wh- wh- when are you more likely to solve a problem, when you're negative or when you're pro- positive? You're more likely to solve a problem when you're positive than when you're negative. So that's why God teaches us these things in our life. And so what does God say about our problems? Let me walk you through this very quickly. God says in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles or problems come your way, okay, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. What God says to you about your problems is that your problems, again, are not designed to destroy you. Your problems are designed to develop you. And so when you look at your problems, instead of declaring, I can't make it through, this is going to defeat me or destroy me, you look at your problems and declare this, my problems are growing me. My problems are developing me. Yes, I've got some problems in my life, but I'm growing through my problems. I'm developing. God's making me stronger through what I'm going through. I'm declaring what God says about what I'm facing in my, I'm not going to say what I want to say. What I'm going to say is what God says. I agree with him that my problems are growing me. Say it together. My problems. Are gr- now, say it like you mean that. Some of you are barely getting those words out of your mouth right now. Come on. My problems are growing me. That's what God says about your problem. You got a problem in your life right now? Your problem is growing you. God says that. Declare what he says. James 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus said, you got to realize that when you're going through things that want to trouble your heart, realize that I am with you, the one that you can believe in. And so I declare that my problems are growing me, and I declare that Jesus is with me. Jesus never leaves me. Jesus is in my boat, even when there's a storm on the sea. Jesus is in my boat. And so Jesus is with me. I've got that declaration. And then John 16, verse 33. I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. You're going to have problems. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus said, not only am I with you, but I can and I will help you. See, this is God's perspective of your, of your problems. When you look at a problem, I know that my problem is growing me. I know that Jesus is with me. I know that Jesus can and will help me. Suddenly, you've turned things from the negative to the positive. James 5, 10 and 11, take the old prophets as your mentors. They put up with anything, went through everything, and never once quit all the time honoring God. What a gift life is to those who stay the course. You've heard, of course, of Job's staying power, and you know how God brought it all together for him 
at the end. That's because God cares, cares right down to the last detail, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Let me declare something for you today that in the face of your problem, you've got to understand that God is working it out for you and he always works it out for your good. God is for you and he's not against you. And so in the midst of my problem, I'm declaring this, my problem is growing me. Jesus is with me. Jesus can and will help me. And my problems, God is going to work it all out in the end for my good. Whatever I'm going through right now, I can look. I can't see the end right now, but I already know what the end's going to be. The end's going to always be good with God, okay? And suddenly now you're talking about your problems. Listen, you're talking about your problems from an entirely different perspective. Your words are lining up in agreement with God. And now you're speaking life into your life, life into your circumstances, life into your problems rather than speaking death. Valuable to understand. Let me give you one more here. Romans 8, 37. No, despite, 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 in spite of all these things. What are all these things? Go back and read earlier. You talked about all the problems Paul was facing in his life. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. What you declare here is though I'm going through a problem, this problem will not destroy me. I will be a conqueror in the end. I will overcome. I will be victorious in this situation. What you say about your problems matters. It's very important what you say about your problems. So I want to help you to learn how to do this most effectively in your life. And I promise you this week we had a resource that we wanted to provide for you. And so to the left-hand side of the aisle, there's a purple bag. And we ask you to reach down those on the left-hand side of the aisle and grab that bag. And inside the bag, take out a book that we'd like to give you as a gift this week. You're free to get one book. Everybody say one. Everybody understand the word one? Do I need to do an extra message teaching on one? Okay, okay. One book. One book per person, Okay. Have a limited quantity. If you want extra, extra books, listen, you want extra copies of this, we have extra copies available for purchase at the resource, center, resource centers at the end of the service. You can go there at $7.99, a very uh, reasonable price. If you'd like to get them for, your, for other people that you want to share them with, they're a tremendous resource, but those are available at the resource center. But one per person is a gift to you today, and thank you for honoring that with us today as we're, we're passing these out. You can put your notes aside. I want you to turn to page 71 in the book. I'm going to show you how to use this book. And let me tell you a little bit about it just for a brief moment. We're just about done here in just about the next five minutes. We'll be completing today and getting prepared for communion. Turn to page 71, if you will. Uh, There are 25 in this book. There are 25 affirmations, 25 statements of what God says about you, your life, your world, your relationships. And they're designed as as affirmations for you to speak out loud. What I've done utilizing this book myself is I've oftentimes in my morning devotion, I'll I'll go through all 25 of these and proclaim them and declare them out loud. It's very important that you do it out loud, I believe. By the way, that means you need a private place where you can do it. Don't do it in the, you know, in the midst of your office at, at work. You know, they'll think you're crazy. And, you know, if you, if you do that kind of stuff there, you know, you don't come to our church. You go to another church if you do that kind of stuff. Okay. But find a private place where you can do this, but affirm these things, okay? Just declare them out loud, okay? Now, you might say, I can't get through all 25 of them every day. That's okay. Take one a day. Just take one a day. And you got 25 days, cover one at a time, and then you cycle back around. Because this book is meant to be a workbook for you. 
Because you've got to get this into your life. Not going through it one time is not going to help you. I promise you. Reading through it one time is not going to help you. This is designed to be an exercise manual for you. Okay? And part of what we don't understand as Christians many times is that we have to put our work in for our spiritual life to be strong. You've got to put something into it if you're going to be strong. Just like going, you can't, you can say, I want to get in shape. But if, if you never go to the gym, it's not going to happen, Right? Or if you go to the gym, you put on your workout suit, so you go to the gym and eat uh, pastries and drink coffee. It's not going to happen, okay? You actually have to go to the gym and get on the machines and work out for, for it's, this to occur. And so this is a workout manual for you. And so I hope that you'll use this. I hope you'll wear this book out and have to get another one because you're going to keep it as a part of your journey and getting these things inside of you. But let me show you how it's designed. I'm going to give you one example based upon the teaching that I've given you today. And that's, on, that's, the, that's the 23rd Affirmation. And I want all of us at all of our campuses to read this aloud and loudly. I want you to put your best, most authoritative voice on. Your, I mean, I want you to come close to a shout. You don't have to shout, but come close to it, okay? And I want us to read this loudly, to get loudly together. Are you ready? Starting at the very top in faith. Read with me. In faith and with a heart to obey, I confidently declare I don't have problems. I have opportunities for God's wisdom, grace, and power to be demonstrated. Think about this. You start your day out. You say, what's my affirmation today? My affirmation for today is this. As I get started in my day in faith and with a heart to obey, I confidently declare this day, I don't have problems. I don't have problems. I have opportunities for God's wisdom and grace and power to be demonstrated in my life. That as I walk through my day, I'm going to see every problem as an opportunity for God to show me some wisdom, for God to show me some grace, and for God to show me some power. I don't have problems. I have opportunity for God to show up and show up in big ways in my life. Every problem is an opportunity for God. Now you begin to affirm that, and you start believing that, and then you notice the next page, turn to page 72, you'll see that, in that on that page there are scriptures that underscore that declaration, and so with every one of these 25, you'll find the declaration and then the scriptures that support it, because we can't just come up with ideas on our own, they need to be based in the Bible, and so there are all the scriptures that support, and then on page 73 at the top, you'll see that I've written a short little paragraph for every one of these 25 declarations that explain to you why this is important and what it means in your life. I'm not going to take time to read that for you today. And then there's a section for you to do some journaling if you'd like to do that or use this book to do so. But again, you have the declaration, the scriptures, and the explanation of it so it becomes more meaningful in your life. But I want you to put this book to use. It is valuable as an exercise manual for your spiritual life and begin to say what God says about you. Begin to say what God says about your relationships. Begin to say what God says about your problems. Begin to say what God says about every realm of your life because when you agree with God, you welcome the power and life of God into every realm of your life. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much this morning for the opportunity we've had to study your word. We're grateful, Lord, for you speaking to us. We're grateful for the instruction you've given us regarding our problems, that what we say about them matters. And I pray that we would begin to speak in agreement about our problems in line with your word. And I pray that today's message would find resonance in every heart and every life. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. 
I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.